We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Let's open up to Isaiah chapter 53. I wonder if any of you are here today and you have like bills, like credit card bills. Any of you here? Or maybe you uh, you bought a car. You know you've got that. I was I I noticed a Lamborghini out there, and I was just thinking, I wonder whose that is. Um, maybe you have car payments. How many of you here have car payments, or or your house? You know, some of you here have been uh, and blessed in that sense, and that you're able to to buy a house, and you know, in 40 years it, it'll probably be yours if you stop refinancing, right? <laughs> but I was just thinking about what a, what a good feeling it is when the bills are paid off, when the credit cards are paid off, when the car is paid off. Or, uh, some of you here even are, are blessed in that. I, I know a couple of people, the house is paid off. What an awesome feeling that in, in one sense that must be. But even more so, uh, to know that your sins are paid off. Isn't that amazing? That when Jesus Christ died on that cross, all your sins, all the debt that should send us to hell, that would separate us from him, that everything was laid on him, and he paid that debt in full. I tell you what, if I had to choose between my credit cards or my cars or my house to be paid off in contrast to my sins, I mean, there's no question about it. I thank the Lord that he's paid my debt. And that's what he did on that cross, you know. When Jesus Christ was arrested, it's a crazy story. I mean, you know, he was taken to... Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, it was a mockery of a little meeting there with him, trial, and then to Annas, the high priest, uh, and then uh, uh, to the Sanhedrin. It was an informal trial. And the next thing you know, the next day, they sent him to Pilate, and then to Herod, and then back to Pilate. And, you know, finally the, the time came, even though Pilate saw nothing wrong with him, no, no sin, no reason to die. He sentenced him to death under the pressure of the Jewish religious leaders. And then he took up his cross. And the, the beam itself probably weighed about 70 pounds. And he carried it up the Via de la Rosa. Is that how you pronounce it? I always say it wrong. And, uh, you know, Simon helped him. And when he got there, they, they nailed him to a cross. You know, about halfway through, and it's amazing when you look at the stories, you know, the, the words that Jesus uttered from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, taking care of his mom, you know, reaching out to the thieves that were crucified next to him. I mean, the, the, just the, the love that was demonstrated on that cross is amazing. It's amazing. And then about halfway through, the sky went black. You know, and it's an interesting thing. You know, Tiberius tells us, he's a historian, he tells us that there was darkness in the land, but Tiberius was not a believer. 
And so what he said was, these silly Christians, they see the darkness in the land and they think it's some sign from God. He said, it's just a, 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 an eclipse, right? A solar eclipse. But you know what? The funny thing about it is this. And here's a historian telling us it was an eclipse. The funny thing about it is that now we have science. We can go back and we can discover that it wasn't an eclipse. Besides that, eclipse couldn't last for three hours. And what happened was at that moment when it got dark, all our sins were laid on Jesus. And what happened was he died for us. And when he finally was about to die, he asked for some, you know, something to drink. He didn't want to dull his senses in any way, but what he wanted to do was wet his lips and kind of unparch his tongue so that he might make one final declaration prior to his departure. And you guys know what it is, right? In the Greek language, it's to telestai. And that is debt paid in full. And he didn't say to telestai. He said to telestai. He cried out. It is finished. And he died for our sins. He did all the work. And what we find in looking at that cross is something that theologians will never touch the bottom of. But we as children of God know enough as children so that when we put our faith in him and the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross, that we're saved. You know, as I was just asking the Lord, what do you want me to share today? I really felt like he led me here to Isaiah 53 because this is an amazing prophecy. It was written 700 years before Christ. And what it is is a, a reference to what the servant would do, what the lamb would do, what Jesus would do on the cross. And there's so much here. I want to encourage you when you get a chance, you read Isaiah 52 verse 13 and just finish all the way through chapter 53. It's just packed with beautiful truths for us to take home on this Good Friday. But what I want to do is hone in on just a, a few verses. Beginning here in verse 4. Notice what it says, Isaiah 53 verse 4. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It's an amazing prophecy. What happened on that cross? You know, it's been said all heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell is afraid of the cross of Christ, while men seem to be the only ones who more or less ignore the cross of Christ. I want to encourage you guys for the rest of your life, if you want to be strong, if you want to be you know, that man of God, that woman of God, that Christian that you're supposed to be living in the promised land, victorious Christian living, then fix your eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Christianity is the only religion in the world where the centerpiece is the humiliation of our God. But there on the cross where Jesus was spit and mocked and they crowned him with thorns, 
There we see the love of God that needs to penetrate our heart in order to transform us from the inside out. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling for 37 years or, or whatever. In all reality, when you're honest and you look in the mirror, you know you're not the Christian you're supposed to be. I don't say that to condemn you, but I say that to just let's come to that place where we're honest about these things. And you're like here and you're saying, God, help me. Help me to love my wife the way that Christ loved the church and died for her. Help me, Lord, to be that example in the church or out in the world. I tell you what, the cross will transform your life. The cross for you, the cross in you, and then the cross through you. But you got to know the cross, and you have to know, you know what it is. You know, I always tell people, because we celebrate Valentine's Day, and most people believe that the symbol of love is the heart, right? And maybe in one sense it is, but the symbol of love is the cross. Because it's there, the Bible says in Romans 5.8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did he do? Look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. You know, I, I, I want to encourage you, don't miss that first word. Surely. Surely he has borne our grief. I mean, there's no doubt about it. No questioning, no wondering. We declare with absolute certainty, not a sliver of a shadow of a doubt, surely he has borne our griefs. There's no question. You know, it's interesting, the, the word born here in the Hebrew, it means to take and it means to carry and it means to endure. Surely he has taken and carried and endured our griefs. That literally speaks of the sickness that we all have been infected with. Physically, it's affected us. Emotionally, we suffer. Spiritually, we've been infected by it. And on that cross, Jesus took it all upon himself because we were all ailing and failing in all areas of life, body, soul, and spirit. We were sick with an incurable sickness, but he bore our grief and he carried our sorrows. This is what Jesus has done. The Hebrew word translated carried is different than that which is translated born. And it speaks specifically of carrying a load to the point of weighing oneself down. And Jesus was weighed down with the sickness of our body, soul, and spirit. Jesus was weighed down. He didn't just carry. He was weighed down and crushed by our sickness and our sorrows. You know, the word sorrows, it speaks of pain and the anguish of the mind, the anguish of the heart. You know, Jesus bore this for us. And it's interesting, you know, God speaking through Isaiah, this is really what we're going to see in this chapter. He really wants us to know. He wants to clearly communicate that when Jesus died on the cross, that he died for us. He died for our grief, for our sorrows. Even though there were those who thought then that he deserved to die. And you know, if you were there, that might have been you. You may have been one of those who said, yeah, Jesus deserves to die because he doesn't go with the status quo. He doesn't follow the religious leaders of that day. You know, that's what we read there in verse 4. 
Again, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It's interesting to me how he uses the word we. That's me. That would probably have been us. What we find right here is that they thought that Jesus deserved to die. You know, we thought, one of their translations says, that his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. Another translation says, even though we thought he was being punished and attacked by God and afflicted for something that he had done. See, I pray it wouldn't escape us what's going on here. God wants to clearly, clearly articulate. Let there be no ambiguity about it. Surely he died for us. Surely he died for you. Surely he died for me. And he bore our grief. And he bore our sorrows. And he bore our sickness. It was all laid on him. Even though some might say, no, it was for himself. No, it wasn't. We read again there in verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. You know, the, the word wounded here, you know, wounded for our transgressions is actually a lot worse in the original language. It's not just an injury. You know, we think of wounded and maybe he's out for a couple of weeks. No, this Hebrew word, it's, it's actually like blasphemy. It speaks of profanity. It speaks of desecration. It speaks of, of the pollution of a person. And that's what happened to Christ. The purest of all was profaned. The divine was desecrated. You know, it's interesting also, the word wounded here can also be translated pierced. He was pierced on that cross for our transgressions. You know, we read the word transgressions here, and it's here we move from sickness, that's one thing, and and sorrows, that's another thing. But they're all pointing to one thing, and that is sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. Transgression is sin. It's actually rebellion, literally in the original language. And that's what sin is, just in case you're wondering. It's rebellion against God. You know, and I don't know about you, but man, if you rebelled against me, I don't think I would die for you. I say, too bad, so sad. (laughs) Right? I don't need you. God didn't need us. Some people think that God needed us, that God was lonely. That's a life in the pit of hell. God was self-sufficient and satisfying for eternity past. God looked down at us as the objects of his love created in his image. And when we transgress, when we sin, when we rebelled, he was wounded. That person that was so pure was polluted and desecrated. It's just an amazing thing. You know, the other day we were going through the the, the tabernacle and the temple, and we were looking at all the different metals that were involved in the making of the temple, how gold is symbolized in the deity of Christ, and silver symbolizes redemption. And it's interesting because they gave all the amounts. This is how much gold was used. This is how much brass, I mean, uh, silver was used. 
But when it came to brass, they said it was immeasurable. There was no way to uh, uh, measure how much brass was used when they created that temple. And brass is symbolic of judgment. And there is no way to estimate the judgment that Jesus endured on that cross when he died for us. It's immeasurable. We'll never know what took place on that tree of Calvary. You know, it's been said that he died for all the sins, all the people of all time. Now, I don't know about you, but I have like 36 sins I have already counted in my own life since I was a little kid, (laughs) multiplied by a million. I mean, I've had a lot of sins. I don't know about you. How many of you have lied? How many of you have envied? How many of you have suffered from jealousy, or maybe you judged somebody, or maybe you got high, maybe you got drunk, maybe you cussed someone out, maybe you were mean to someone. How many of us here have fallen short? We strayed away from God. We've had idols. We've done things that we shouldn't do, so much so that we do it every day. They were all laid on him. From what I understand, studies have been you know, conducted. They say that since the beginning of society, the beginning of mankind, there have been somewhere around 120 billion people. Every single one of them with probably 120 billion sins. Evil, wickedness, die-cast rebellion, transgression, sin. And it was all laid on Jesus. And when he died... He suffered the punishment for every single one of them. He was wounded for our transgression. It says he was bruised for our iniquities. He carried our sorrows and wounded for so many sins. And then we read that the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. You know, as I look out in the congregation, and I know a a lot of you here, I don't know all of you, but you want to know what I see? Healed. 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 Jesus has healed you. I don't know if you ever, like, trip out on that. And sometimes you don't feel healed because you're not a a perfect person yet. But i got to give you, like, a newsflash that that's not going to happen until you're home. But you are a healed people. But the chastisement for our peace was upon him. All this happened when Jesus died for us on the cross. You know, this is perplexing to me. It's puzzling, but it's true. He was punished for our peace. He was hurt so that we might be healed. And this hurt was deep. You notice it says right here that by his stripes we are healed. You know, and of course we know that those stripes were those things that they laid across Jesus' back. You know, it began with the beatings of the rods and they whipped him then 
with what was called the flagellum, or the cat of nine tails, and it consisted of leather strips of variable lengths in which were small iron balls and sharp pieces of bones tied at various intervals. And what you find, and I saw some pictures of this, it was just so crazy, that the victim was stripped of his clothing. It's not like you saw on the Passion of the Christ. He was naked. He was naked there, stripped of his clothing, and what we would see is that the entire backside from head to feet were then flogged by two soldiers on each side. Scourging was intended to weaken the victim to a state just short of death. And as the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions and the leather thongs and the bones would then cut into the various layers of human tissue. And as the flogging continued, it would make its way to the underlying skeletal muscles and it would produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. The pain and loss of blood then often set the stage for what was called circulatory shock. And, and when you consider this, I mean, when you think of Jesus being scourged and by his stripes were healed, you know, consider the fact that Jesus had already been beaten down by the Jewish temple guards, that he was undoubtedly up all night, no rest, no water, no food, right? And prior to that, if you remember, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he suffered from what was called hematidrosis, and that means that he was in anguish. He was praying so hard, he was so distraught that he sweat blood through his, his, through his capillaries. And what that did was that even weakened his skin even more. So all that, prior to his scourging prior to his stripes and not only that when you consider this fact and something that I've always thought of that when Jesus was being beaten the devil was behind every single blow with gusto right that Lucifer was responsible for every lash that was laid on our Lord that this was Satan's opportunity to make God suffer something he had never experienced since his existence with the hopes that the Christ would quit just that he would quit. But Jesus didn't. And you guys know this, man. I know you know this. That it wasn't nails that held him to the cross. It was love. And it kept him going and going because he wants us to experience the joy, that he wants to take away our sorrows, that he wants to take away our grief, that he wants to take away our sickness, that he wants to take away our sins. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but this is God. This is God who died for you. You know, Lucifer was responsible for every lash, and there's no doubt about my mind that when Jesus went through all these things, that it was the most horrendous torture that a man could ever experience. So much so that if you go back to Isaiah 52, maybe you're familiar with this passage. Look at verse 14. It says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. The Bible explicitly says that this is as bad as it had ever been. This is what Jesus went through for us. 
Notice in verse 6, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, there's a, a couple of things the Lord wants us to know. It's just, uh, it has to be embedded in you. You know, we could use fancy words like the substitutionary death of Christ or the propitiation, you know, things like that. How the, all our sins were laid on him in a the theological sense. But I pray it would just really come, you know, in a simple way to us, you know, that he suffered the punishment that we deserved. And that when he did that, it satisfied justice and it showed love. And when you place your faith in Christ, you are then free to go to heaven. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like that. Maybe you've had, you know, people suffer for another person. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, being on this side of it, it's not like a, a, a good feeling, at least not in our sinful nature anyways. You know, I remember one time, I was just a kid, okay? And uh, I remember down the street, somebody had did like a little crime, right? It was down the street. We used to live on Thackeray. Uh, over in when I was young and so um, I remember I used to live with my aunt at that time and uh, someone told her it was me they said hey you know Manny did that and and I was a bad kid so she believed of course and I'll never forget I'll never forget not that I'm traumatized but I am okay <laughs> I'll never forget the day that she came at me and she rolled up her sleeves and she beat me down. She beat me down for something I didn't do. Not that I'm traumatized or anything. I just... <laughs> I love her. I still... I love my aunt. But, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever experienced anything like that? That's what Jesus did for us. I mean, you know, I was talking to one brother, uh, and he told me a real fascinating story about um, his relative who's uh, currently serving a life sentence in Pelican Bay. And, and he kind of told me how it all went down, how what happened one day was his brother got in a fight and he, and he beat someone up really bad, right? And so after he beat the guy up, he fled uh, the scene and he came home. He knew there were witnesses. He knew that people saw everything that went down and so the, he knew the cops would come looking for him eventually. But the thing is this, this brother who beat that guy up, he was on probation, right? And he knew that the judge would throw the book at him. And so what he did was he told his brother to tell the officers, hey, tell him it was you, right? Tell him it was you. And you know, the thing is, is just, I just beat somebody up and all they're going to do is they're going to send you to camp for, for battery charges. And so sure enough, when the police officers came, the big brother said, yeah, it was me. And so what ended up happening is he confessed. He even gave a written confession, signed it, under the impression that he would only do a small amount of time. But what ended up happening the next day is the guy that that younger brother beat up died. And so this brother, at that point, tried to back out of it. I didn't do, I didn't do it, man. But he had already signed a written confession. And... You know, that's kind of what ended up happening. You know, next thing you know, I'm talking to this brother, he's telling me, man, he's serving a life sentence. 
in Pelican Bay for something he never did. You know, in one sense, and I know there's not a clear, you know, comparison, but there's a similarity here. In one sense, that's kind of what Jesus did for us. You know, this guy did it reluctantly, however. Jesus did it willingly. You know, when you look at that right there, you see the story of what God has done for us. I mean... When you look at this right here, I think God wants us to know that he died for your sins. He wants us to know that. You know what? And I think another thing he wants us to know is that, that we belong to him. Look what he says again there in verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You know, God, I think, reveals to us that we've all sinned, but I think here he does it in a gentle way. And did you guys know this, that your sheep, I don't know if you want to say, bah, but you can if you want to, you know? Your sheep, and did you guys know the Lord's your shepherd? You know, it's important for us to know that. We're going to see later that we're also children and God is our Father. But as sheep stray... So we do as well. You know, when you study sheep, you'll find that healthy sheep like to stick together. They like to flock together. As a matter of fact, you'll find that sheep will fight their way in order to be right in the middle of the flock because they know it's the safest place to be rather than to hang out on the outskirts. Studies have proven this. This is what we call their gregarious nature. And just as a quick side note, I want to encourage you, because we learn lessons from sheep. I mean, how would a sheep survive without a shepherd? It wouldn't. How are you going to survive without Jesus? You won't. Sheep are gregarious. They like to go into the middle of the flock. I want to encourage you, don't be one of those Christians that are there on the outskirts. Every once in a while you show up for church, you are open game for the lion to devour you. What we have to do is we have to jump right into the middle of the flock, right here, smack dab, plastalo, right there, so that we can be in this safe place. Because what ends up happening, and it's so easy in this world, it just draws you like a magnet that you won't believe, is that we tend to go astray. Even though sheep have that gregarious nature, it doesn't mean they don't stray at times. You know, they might graze their way away from the flock in search of what they might call greener pastures, you know? Like I said, sheep like to stay with the flock, but you know what? If they start, hey, man, it looks pretty green over there, you know? Bah, and they start going that way, you know? And next thing you know, yeah, that looks nice and green over there on that side. And then, you know, one of the things about sheep is that in their gregarious nature, they'll follow other sheep, even when they shouldn't follow other sheep. But next thing you know, they're far away. I wonder if there's anyone here like that. You're a sheep, man. Jesus is your shepherd. What in the world are you doing way over there? Why aren't you here? Don't you know we love you? Don't you know God loves you? Don't you know that you're welcome here? Don't you know that here you'll find strength and power? You should be right there in the middle. You know, I got a phone call prior to the service today, and 
a lady called, a nice lady, and, and she said, are, I want to find out the, the format of your services tonight. Are you having service tonight? And I said, oh, yes. Uh, we have our Good Friday service tonight at 7. And you know what she said? It was so cute. She said, can I come? I'm not a member. Is it okay if I come? And I said, absolutely. You are welcome here. And sometimes the enemy comes in and he plays, you know, whatever, mind games with us. And he tells us that, you know, you don't belong. You're just not good enough. You don't fit in. Well, yes, you do. This is where we need to be because what happens is so easy is the tug of the world ends up leading us astray. You know, sheep, they go astray even when they shouldn't. I want to encourage you tonight that if that's you and you've wandered away, you've strayed away, who knows, maybe even you come to church, but you know that you're not right with God. There's a distance between you and God. You know you're not in right relationship with God. But you keep going through the motions. You think that somehow something's going to click. And God is just saying, you have to surrender. You have to be broken. If there's a distance between you and God, God hasn't moved. You have. Until you need to return. Now all we like sheep, and this happens to all of us, we've all strayed away at times. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sinned? Have you ever strayed? Maybe it's a relation that's getting in the way of God. Or maybe it's some type of ambition that has taken away your first love. Or maybe it's the possessions that you've been pursuing. And God is saying, this is where you belong, right? And before you know it, you're out there and never, never land. And, and your soul, you're lost. You're lost, and you don't know how to get back. You know, I don't know about you, but I know myself, I'm directionally challenged. Thank God for the mountains, because, okay, okay, that's north, but that's about all I know. The sun sets in the west, it rises in the east, okay, got a couple of things going, but, man, I'm so easily lost, and so difficult for me to find my way back. And what we find is that, you know, right here he talks about the sheep, they've gone astray. But notice it says there in verse 6 that we have turned everyone to his own way. You know, that's why you're, if you're here today, that's why you're suffering. Because somewhere along the line, for whatever reason, you decided to do things your way. You went your own way. You turned your own way rather than following the Lord. You know, you might be a smart person and you might be, you know, you might have a degree or whatever, money. But your own way will lead you to hell. Your own way will lead you away from the perfect will of God in your life. You don't want your own way. We've all done it at one time or another. We've all gone our own way. But it's so cool to know that Jesus 
is here to rescue us. You know, you got that guy in his own agenda and his own guidelines and his own goals for his own glory and his own gain. And it happens to us all. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what did the Lord do? Ah, good riddance. They were a smelly sheep anyways, right? What did the Lord do? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those wanderings have been laid on him. There's nothing to stop you. There's nothing that would get in the way. Jesus paid for our sins. You know, in Jesus dying for us, in Jesus dying, Jesus is drawing. Did you know that? That if you can see that cross clearly, the Bible says, Jesus said, and when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That if you can see the cross, that you will be drawn to it. He died for you. All your sins, past, present, future, were laid on him. We've strayed away. And we're lost. But he goes looking for us, the Bible says and. Luke chapter 15 and Matthew 18, 12 through 14. In Psalm 119, verse 176, it says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, you know, yeah, well, I'm here, Manny. You want to know why you're here? Because God drew you here. God went looking for you. God started knocking on your heart. God, you know, somehow brought you here because he's looking for you. Because he loves you. You know, when Jesus died, and I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've shared with you guys before, and you got to pray for me on this, that my wife, she likes massages every night, right? And I've told you guys that. And I'll, I'll, I'll do it grudgingly. I mean, like, again? You know, <laughs> every night and it's just my like dumb thought of well that's not fair every night <laughs> and you know what we end up doing a lot of times is we do it grudgingly look at how Jesus went to the cross in verse 7 he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he was led as a slam to the as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You know, when the Lord was there dying for us, bearing our sins, separated from the Father, scourged. I mean, he had a crown of thorns. I was looking at this right here. I was like, wow, especially with my bald head, I won't wear this thing, man. <laughs> but he wore it on his head, and they beat it down. And not a whisper of complaining. You know what? There's no one like Jesus who died for you. And he's the Lord. He's a lamb. He's the Lord. The Lord of glory. The creator of the universe. Such a sacrifice done without complaining. You know, it's interesting here 
and that it identifies him as a lamb in verse 7 and as a sheep. A lamb is a sheep in its first year. And in one sense, he goes now from being the servant to being one of us. Remember, we're sheep, and so is he. I mean, we could be here all night talking about the amazing thing that Christ has done for us. When he came down and he was born and born to die and born to, you know, bear our sins, becomes one of us. Why did he do this? And we got to close with this in verse 11. It says, And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You know, I don't know if you guys know about this or not, but I guess uh, in the Philippines, every year about this time, did you guys know that they actually um, have some of these uh, Filipino individuals, they get crucified? Did you guys know about that? I mean, it's crazy. Think about that. You know, you have this one guy. His name is Ruben Anahe. He's 54 years old. He's been crucified 26 times. And what they do is they sterilize their hands with alcohol, and they sterilize the nail, and they just, you know, nail, nail him to the cross for, for a few hours. And, you know, if you guys study this whole thing out, it's amazing to me. I saw some videos, and what they do is they, they strip your back, and they cut little cuts in your back just so that you can bleed a little bit and then they walk down the street and they beat themselves it's crazy you know the reason they do that is because they believe that such extreme sacrifices are a way to atone for their sins and and here's the sad thing about it that if they trust in themselves it doesn't matter how many times you get crucified they won't go to heaven. You got to trust in Jesus. Even though we fall short, what we have to do is have the heart that understands He died for me. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a free gift that He wants to give to you. All you have to do is receive. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's what we see right there in, in verse 10. It talks about, you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That's his children. It's amazing to me when you see this. Why did he do this? Because he would justify, it says in verse 11, Many that through all this, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You, you want to know what, what kept the Lord on the cross? Was he could see you. He could see you. There you are in heaven. No more sorrows, no more tears, no more death, no more sickness, no more suffering. There. In heaven, that kept him on the cross because he saw you. And now what keeps us is by seeing him. You know, I'll be honest with you. When I do my treadmill, I'm in one room over here. 
And then uh, um, we have a picture, and I know, you know, it's this, we don't know for sure what Jesus looks like, but we have a picture in my house of Jesus, and, and he has a cross, and he's got the crown of thorns, and he's just, he's just, he's on the ground. And sometimes as I'm, as I'm doing that treadmill, I just look over at him dying for me, and I just begin to weep. I know he's not on the cross anymore. I know he rose again. But don't forget the depth of the cross, the depth of the suffering, because there you see the depth of his love. Maybe you're here today and you've gone way, way out there. And you're so far and you're thinking, man, not me, man. I tell you what, there's no pit too deep where God's love can't reach. You know, what we find is that the Lord died so that he would justify many. And do you guys know what justification is? He wants to justify you just as if you'd never sinned. That's in one sense justification. It's a, it's a declaration of legal righteousness in the presence of God's omniscience. He sees you and he sees no sin. When? You place your trust in Jesus. You know, right here in verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. And you're like, what do you mean his knowledge? By his knowledge, he shall justify many. Does that mean like Jesus knew algebra or something? Or calculus? No. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where he knows you and you know him and at the end of the day you guys that's all we're calling you to okay so you guys know who you are right you're a sheep maybe you're here today and ah, you strayed away so here's what's happened okay Jesus goes looking for you and he found you. I'll never forget the time I lost my son in Knott's Berry Farm. And I found him. Joy, right? <laughs> so he finds you. But does that mean it's all settled? That it's all said and done now? No. You still have to make a choice. I love the passage in 1 Peter 2.25. It says, For you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Guys, if you straight away, it's time to return. He loves you. He died for you. And I pray that today, in your heart, you can make a decision to return to We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.